0: Kelsey and i are so excited to share this fantastic conversation we're about to have with carl kumoji who came all the way down to washington dc to our studio for us to just have a really cool conversation learn about what brought you to what you're doing now and to learn more about the movement for black lives thanks so much for coming
1: carl thanks for having me i'm really excited to be here so Carl, let's just
2: jump right in. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, uh, where are you from? What brought you to Stanford and what you're up to now?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so I, uh, like Kelsey and Autumn said, I'm Carl, Carl Komogi. Uh I was born in Togo, small country in West Africa, directly to the east of Ghana. Uh, came here with my mom. My mom was a political refugee uh, in 96. I was four years old. Um, grew up in Las Vegas. Um, you know, uh, grew up in Las Vegas, went to Stanford. Uh, I was class of uh, the the greatest class, the last great class of 2014. Um, and now I work uh, with an organization called Blackbird, um, where I uh, we work on strengthening Black organizing, strengthening and amplifying uh, Black organizing around the country. Um, and I'm also a member of a group called byp 100 a black youth project 100 um, it's a organizing uh and base building uh organization of black 18 and 35 year olds from around the country so it's a little bit of what i do now
0: so a question cool. about byp 100 what mm-hmm. does that stand for carl
1: so byp 100 is black youth project 100
0: so w- with BYP, I, I think it's really interesting that that the organization operates from a black queer feminist lens. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? How can you explain that to listeners that may not have heard those words put together like that before?
1: Yeah, um, so uh, black queer feminist lens, it's a lot of words that, you know, like you said, a lot of people haven't heard before. But um, essentially what it just means is that we believe in organizing at the margins of the margins, right? So we believe that Um, you know, uh, if you look at health care, if you look at um, economic injustice, if you look at um, um, you know, our political system, if you look at police brutality, all of these different issues, right? Um, Black people are uniquely impacted and often disproportionately impacted. Um, But if you look even a little deeper, you'll see that, um, you know, black queer people, black femmes and women, black disabled people, um, there are people who are just even more disproportionately organized, dis- disproportionately um, affected. And so we believe that in order to uh, have a complete picture of what the problem is and in order to come up with the best solutions um, and implement the best solutions to these problems, we really have to understand um, and center the voices and the leadership of the most marginalized. And that's really all that that means.
2: So, Carl, can you go a little bit deeper in terms of what that actually means? How mm-hmm. does that that work, um, and that philosophy manifest itself uh, here in the United States and beyond?
1: Yeah. Um, so, I think I'll give a perfect example, right? So, in New York, um, everyone knows about stop and frisk, right? Um, it's been yep. talked about for decades. Can you describe, you know. describe yeah, stop go and ahead frisk to that. To some
0: folks that might not be familiar? That might not be familiar with. With
1: what that is? Yeah, of course. Stop and frisk, um, you know, for decades, um, the NYPD would stop people um, on the street, uh, disproportionately black and brown. Uh, the narrative is disproportionately men, young black and Latino men, um, you know, for being young black and Latino men, right? And would, um, uh, with the with the in um, idea that these are the people who are most likely going to have drugs or going to have Um, guns, or they're the the criminals, right? Um, And so this is a policy that, you know, affected people from uh, young people from elementary school all the way through um, adults, right? And so the narrative has been that um, stop-and-frisk police brutality disproportionately only affects black young black and Latino men. Um, But when you look a little bit deeper, right, the second... um, most reported case of police misconduct, um, especially in New York City, is sexual harassment. And the majority of the people who are suffering from that are um, fems, fem, fem, feminine and, uh, fems and women, um, and then queer people and trans people, right, are most likely to be um, sexually assaulted or harassed by the police. Um, and so when you're talking about police brutality as a problem, right, if you're only talking about the experiences, um, as we've been for decades of black and Latino men, um, then you miss a whole, uh, a whole another side of, a whole other side of the problem, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, for example, um, if you're running a campaign against police brutality, right, Mm -hmm. um, what BYP 100 would do would be to, um, to organize and to make sure that, um, not only are young Black and Latino men, who are being affected by this, um, are like uh, building out the campaign and they're trying to, um, are trying to, um, uh, you know, affect this issue that's uh, that's uh, affecting their lives, um, but that um, femmes, queer people, um, trans people um, are also a part of building out the solution and a part of the campaign um, because they understand the problem in a way. Um, that uh, if you're just focusing on men, um, we wouldn't, right? Um, And so uh, organizing at the margins of the margins, we believe, helps us understand a fuller picture of the problem, like I said, and therefore come up with a fuller, um, a more full solution.
0: What kind of responses do you get to that type of thinking as an organizer? Like, how do people respond to you when they think that, A queer feminist lens is not necessary for organizing, and Mm -hmm. folks that might be um, accustomed to organizing from the '60s. Yeah. How do you what what types of questions or feedback do you get, and Mm -hmm. how do you respond to it?
1: All sorts. Um, I think the biggest, like the most common thing we get when we're, um, you know, just out on the street, like talking to people in New York, um, in like in Brooklyn, and and, in black communities. Um, especially from a lot of older people, but a lot of younger people also, right? Um, Is that, uh, you know, that it's divisive, right? Um, That why are you, you know, just talking about women? Why are you talking about gay people, queer people? That's not a black issue, right? Um, Mm. Why are you uh, organizing just black people, right? This is an issue that affects white people also. Um, We need all the people we can get. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I think it's it's challenging, but it's also a really great opportunity, right, Um, to kind of build with people um, and start people down a path of understanding that um, uh, the reason that we are so targeted, right, and the reason that we focus on the most disenfranchised and the most affected is because we believe that if you fix the problem for uh, those that are the most affected right you fix a problem from the point of view um, of the people who are most hurt Then you fix a problem for everybody, right? Um, I think that one of the most classic examples that people use all the time is that if you look at like healthcare, right? Who's the most impacted by healthcare? Um, oftentimes it's women people who are trans have the worst healthcare who are transgender, right? So if you fix a, if you have a healthcare system um, a healthcare, you know system that works For a queer, trans, disabled, immigrant, black woman, right? Who is that not gonna work for? Um, And so I think, uh, you know, it's challenging when we're in the streets and we're coming up against people who are really, really hostile to, you know, just the word queer by itself, right? And the word feminist. Um, But it presents an opportunity to build with people. Um, And that's what movement building is all about and organizing is all about is moving people from where they are currently to, you know, where we want them to be.
2: So, Carl, I actually have a personal question as it as it pertains to your work in BYP One Hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, how long have you been, uh, you know, a part of the organization and active with the organization? And can you also delve a little bit into your own personal journey and um, and growth process? Um, I'm sure you know the person that you are right now might not have been the same person it, that that held a lot of the sim, same and similar beliefs that you currently hold when mm-hmm. you first actually joined BYP. Um, so, can you walk us through, you know, what some of that um what some of that that story looks like
1: yeah um I can let me see I think so I always whenever I talk about um my story quote-unquote I always start with talking about my mom right um so my mom was born in Togo um you know uh was born in Togo uh grew up with uh uh in a somewhat um not the most stable environment grew up extremely poor um, you know, uh, emotionally abused, all sorts of things. Um, didn't start school till she was like 10 or 11, um, just through the help of like complete strangers, right? Because, you know, they told her that she was a woman, she wasn't smart, school would be a waste, blah, blah, blah. Um, finally, when she was able to start school, um, she excelled, um, and went all the way through, didn't skip any, didn't, uh, repeat any grades, which, You know, the education system in Togo, it's really common for people to uh, repeat grades often, right? Um, Was, I think, the second person in her family to go to college, um, ended up going to college, and um, got really, really politically active. So, I think around 2005, 2006 maybe, um, Togo's uh, quote-unquote president died, um, and at the time was the longest-running dictator in the country. Um, So in the early 90s, when my mom was in college, um, you know, there was a lot of strikes and a lot of um, organizing going on in the country. Um, People wanted like a real democracy and they wanted him out. Um, And so she was a part of that. She was, um, you know, they ended up getting uh, the president to hold uh, this like national gathering. Um, And she was the representative for like students throughout the whole country and the representative for like women in the country. Um, So, you know, it was really, really active. Um, But as happens in most dictatorships, uh, you know, when people are active and are speaking out like that, um, they disappear. And so a lot of my mom's friends were disappearing. Um, One thing led to another. um, And we moved to Benin, which is the country directly to the east of Togo, um, just a few months after I was born. Um, And then, long story short, ended up getting asylum to come to the U.S. Um, So I think growing up, just like hearing stories like that, Um, of like how my mom was raised of um, you know the work that she did um, was just always super hyper aware of I think of like inequality Um, and grew up really Catholic um, and so I think my first like response or my first entry point um, into um, addressing inequality right was really direct service so did a lot of volunteering through the church um, a lot of things like that but it just always seemed, um, it always seemed like a band-aid, right? Um, and so, you know, I think just throughout my life, um, but especially once I got to college, I just like always questioned why things were the way they were, right? Um, why are there poor people, right? Why are uh, some people treated worse than others? Why, you know, everywhere I look around the world, are black people in worse conditions and uh, are in the worst conditions? Things like that, um, and I think. Getting to Stanford um, and being in a place where um, I could have conversations um, with people um, about these things, and people wanted to have conversations about these things, um, and I had access to like professors and classes where I could like uh, learn about you know economics and history um, and um, sociology, right, and political science and things like that. I could take classes in Comparative Studies in Race and Ethnicity, and uh, AAAS, African-African-American Studies, um, really helped me to start to develop an analysis of the world and of why the world was the way it is, Um, uh, you know, and then also through, so I was a history major, um, and through learning about history, was able to, like, really see concrete examples of um, people fighting back against that, and people... Um, winning things um, and, you know, changing their conditions. Um, And so, yeah, so around the time that I, um, we also did a lot of student organizing on campus, um, you know, both through Students of Color Coalition, um, Stanford NAACP, BSU, um, all of that. Um, And so when I graduated, well, all right, so I guess if you go back a little bit more, Uh, my junior, the summer after my junior year, Trayvon Martin died, um, or was murdered. Um, And, um, you know, I was in Pittsburgh that summer, I was doing a public policy program or something. Um, And I remember, uh, I remember seeing the verdict come down and I just like shut off the TV. Um, And I like went for a walk. Um, And I don't, it wasn't, you know, I didn't, like I expected it, I knew it was gonna happen. It wasn't the first time um, that something like this had happened, right? I'm not as well aware of that. Um, But I think something about, you know, Trayvon being the age that he was, I think in the manner that it happened. um, This was a story that, you know, had like kind of caught all of our attention, uh, uh, me and my peers' attention. He kind of looked like me. Um, You know, I think all of those things kind of combined to like make this – Yeah, when Trayvon died, it was just, I think it was, it just made really, really tangible all of the, and not that they weren't tangible or real before, um, but I think all of the issues um, that um, we were constantly talking about, um, that I had like, some of which I had lived through, um, you know, in that moment, it was just really, really clear that like, this is life or death, right? Like, it's not, um, it's not a game, it's not an intellectual exercise, right? It's not, something that um you know you do in your yeah that it was it was really about life and death um and so i think that was part one um so i spent a lot of senior year you know just like figuring out what i was going to do after i graduated um when trayvon died uh that day uh byp 100 was born and kelsey knows because kelsey was there um at the original convening um so i had met you know Charlene and Jessica, um, while I was in college, Charlene ended up becoming the national, the first national director for BIP 100. Jessica was the first national co-chair. Um, and then Kelsey and uh, another friend, um, Jade, were a part of the original 100. And so I'd heard about this organization. I like was following them on Facebook or whatever, Twitter, um, and knew what they were doing. Um, right before I graduated, I um, ended up getting the John Gardner Fellowship, which is a fellowship through the Haas Center that allows you to do uh, almost a year of uh, public interest, public service work um, anywhere that'll take you for um, free or for, uh, you know, the, the, the fellowship um, funded you. And so I knew that I wanted to do, you know, I was interested in like racial and economic justice. I was really interested in policy. Um, I was interested in like grassroots, vaguely, didn't really know what that meant. Um, didn't fully understand what like organizing was, um, but I knew it was something that um, I wanted to learn more about. So I ended up working at a place called the Center for Popular Democracy, uh, it was based out of New York, um, but they worked nationally with uh, grassroots community-based organizations that were um, organizing all across the country um, and helped to like strengthen them and do capacity building and things like that. Um, so when I graduated, um, started working there, and at the same time, when I moved to New York, um, Kelsey put me in touch with uh, some folks in New York who were starting up a, a BYP 100 chapter in New York. Um, so immediately, just through those two, um, those two spaces, you know, I learned a lot about the methodology of community organizing, the history, um, but I think most importantly about, like, what was going on uh, all around the country, got a really good... View of what was going on all around the country and communities um, that we never hear of on TV, that we never read about, um, but of, like, people, small groups of people um, fighting for things like minimum wage and community control of the police and better housing conditions um, against these giant corporations and these, you know, untouchable um, elected officials um, and winning. And so that was really, really inspirational um, and just helped me, you know, kind of... uh, Um, get a better, I think a more concrete sense of like what community organizing was, um, what movement building was, right? Um, In the midst of all of this, you know, Mike Brown had just died or was just murdered in August, right? And so I moved to New York in September um, and was learning all about community organizing at a time where really like the national conversation was was, uh, shifting um, and people were talking about you know, injustice and in black lives, um, on a daily basis. And it was engaging a lot of people. Um, so that's a little bit, um, you know, ended up, uh, leaving CPD and working at Blackberry, which I work at now. Um, but that's, yeah, a longer version of, I guess, how I got to where I am now.
0: So Carl, um, I know you've talked about the Movement for Black Lives. Can Mm. you please describe what the Movement for Black Lives is to everybody?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, This is a question that uh, I get a lot. A lot of folks get a lot. Um, So, uh, you know, I think a lot of folks know that uh, after Trayvon Martin happened, um, Black Lives Matter, the platform launched, was launched by three, three black women. Um, and then uh, it really took off as a hashtag um, and as a moniker after, um, you know, the Ferguson uprising. Um, so around, uh, you know, when Ferguson was happening, even when Trayvon Martin happened, but when Black Lives Matter was taking off, um, there were a number of organizations all around the country that were contributing to, um, you know, the Ferguson uprising and, and what, was, what was happening down there, um, but what was happening all around the country to like amplify and elevate, right? Um, and, um, so a group of folks got together, including, um, representatives from Black Lives Matter, the network at the time, now an organization, um, and, uh, decided that they needed to come up with some kind of container, something to like, so that the, the media, the public, whatever, um, could delineate between Black Lives Matter, the network, the organization, and then this like, quote-unquote movement, right, or this, like, thing that was happening that included all these other people outside of um, Black Lives Matter, the network. So the name Movement for Black Lives was born, um, and essentially what it is is a coalition, right, of, uh, of a number of different groups um, from all across the country, from, you know, small, unfunded groups to large organizations, uh, national organizations, local organizations, um, that uh, have gotten together... Um, to, you know, build a black freedom movement in our lifetime um, to, uh, you know, affect the material conditions of black people. Um, and so these organizations have, you know, are um, not all aligned politically, right? Are, um, have different priorities, et cetera, et cetera, um, but believe strongly in, uh, I think, the, the opportunity that the moment provides um, and in um, doing things together that none of the organizations can do on their own um so so
0: so what's that like to Mm -hmm. work with a group of different organizations Mm -hmm. that are moving towards the same vision Mm -hmm. but as you said have very different politics what's that like
1: it's uh it's really really hard it's very frustrating um it's extremely frustrating organizing in general is really hard right but trying to Um, organized with a bunch of different uh, groups um, is really difficult. So I think one of the best examples, though, um, uh, one of the the processes that I learned the most through um, about how to do that, um, and I think a really great success story, is um, some people might have heard of the Vision for Black Lives platform. So it was a policy platform that came out in August 2016 um, that the Movement for Black Lives Policy Table um, was working on for a little bit over a year um, and so I helped staff the table um, and you know it was an it was a, a, a group of I want to say 30 something organizations that worked on the platform um, from you know all over the place and so some of the things that had to happen um, was that um, you know there had to be some bottom lines and some political principles right uh, so what are the baseline things that um, it's a combination of, you know, things that the groups could agree on, um, but also things that um, we believed um, needed to be interventions, um, or needed to be the right, like, political interventions in this moment. So, some examples of that were, um, you know, there was, there was an explicit critique of capitalism, right? Um, that, like, we believe that, you know, capitalism, like, doesn't work for black, it doesn't work for anybody, but especially for black people. Right, um, or that like we want reparations, we believe in reparations, um, and so uh, you know there's a long list of other political principles and demands and stuff in there, um, but it was really about like working with folks um, to move people um, to where we th- we thought they needed to be, um, uh, you know, and what the intervention needed to be um, for Black people at the time.
0: So um, a lot of times people throw around the terms activist. Mm-hmm. And organizer. Mm-hmm. What do you think the difference is?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I was trained um, as an organizer, right? Um, and I think that they're both. I think oftentimes people pit it like activist versus organizer, right? That an activist is like less, or is like right, whatever. Right. Right. Um, I think that both are needed, right? Not everyone can be an organizer. Um, so I think a lot of times when people say activists they mean you know. People who go to protests and like are loud and like, um, you know, write articles and express outrage, um, rile people up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, an organizer is someone that can do all of those things, but it's someone who uh, builds collective, pra- collective power, right? Um, and so that's a much more rigorous, uh, a much more disciplined um, and a much more methodological methodological way. Of um, uh, of affecting change, right? Um, and so I think a, an example would be like, you know, uh, so like you have a protest, right? A bunch of people come to the protest. Okay. Rah rah rah, go home. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, the media or whatever might label those people as activists. Um, and a lot of folks are activists, um, but the organizers are the people behind the scenes who you know, um, organized the protest, uh, figured out where, you know, decided where it should be in front of the CEO's office building or, you know, uh, outside of this police precinct, right, for a specific reason. Uh, the ones who organized the demands, right, um, who, who have seen all of the uh, little escalations of, of actions that, have that came before that protest, mm-hmm. all of the things and the meetings and the whatever that's gonna happen after that protest, right? Who um, come up with the targets, who like do the research, the campaign research to know like, you know, who has the power to like meet the demands, right? Where does this protest fit in the larger like arc of the campaign, Um, uh, you know, recruit people to the protest, et cetera, et cetera, I think you get the idea. Um, And so I think, Oftentimes, that's, that's, that's never the story, right? Because um, it's, it's not supposed to be. Um, but one of the things that I learned um, through organizing is that oftentimes, you know, all of these, every time that's like there's a policy change or something at any level of government that's celebrated, um, you know, that affects people's lives, anything throughout history that like, we consider generally a good thing that happened, um, there's always organizing some level of organizing behind it mm-hmm. um, and so that's really powerful to me um, but I think that's yeah a little bit yeah
2: about. so Carl can you talk a little bit about so in addition to, to organizing um, mm-hmm. can you, can you kind of talk a little bit about the role that we all play in this work um, mm-hmm. you know what are the different ways in which people who might not be able to be full-time organizers how mm-hmm. can they plug in how can they also give their time and find their, um, their unique position as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the list is endless, you know? So I, I think that's one of the reasons I, I said, um, you know, I, I, I don't think activism, activism often gets a bad rap. Um, but I think activism is needed, right? Cause not everyone can organize as a full-time job or as a part-time job or whatever. Right. Um, but I think, um, yeah, there are tons of things that folks can do in their everyday lives. Um, one very concrete thing that everyone listening to this right now could do mm-hmm. um, is go on m4bl.net. So it's m, the the number four bl.net. Um, and at the bottom of the webpage, there's a uh, uh, a sheet where you can sign your name, uh, sign up to be on a on a list. Um, and over the next few months, uh, that group of organizations that I talked about, M4BL, the Movement for Black Lives, is going to start rolling out tools um, and uh, resources for people to self-mobilize and self-organize, um, no matter where you are, um, and you know to like learn how to organize and how to like um, plug into work that's going on um, wherever you are. Um, so that's one very concrete thing. Um, you know, I think the Vision for Black Lives, one of the reasons we, um, we did the, pl- we put together the Vision for Black Lives platform is um, to uh, amplify the work that folks are doing all across the country um, to make Black Lives Matter, right? Um, and so there's everything in there from like uh, uh, healthcare to, um, you know, uh, police abolition to economic justice and minimum wage and livable wages um to um you know all sorts of things um and in each section on that website so the website is policy.m4bl.org um if you go on there there's like 50 different policies whatever you might not agree with all of them um but there's bound to be stuff in there you agree with there's examples of organizations that are working on campaigns um to to move those policies currently Um, and some of those are national campaigns some of those are local Um, but if you go on their websites right you can plug directly into those campaigns Um, you can donate money to organizations i almost guarantee you there are organizations wherever you live um, community-based organizations that are working on on these issues um, that you can donate money to you can donate time to you can go to meetings you can show up to their public actions Um, and then even beyond that right i think that um uh uh political education Um, and, like, talking to people um, is uh, fundamental to movement building, right, to, like, building a black freedom movement in our lifetime. Um, And so one of the things that it's really hard for me to do that I've been trying to do more um, is, like, organizing my off time, right? So, like, when I'm riding an Uber, when I'm at the deli, when Mm -hmm. I'm, like, I don't know, like, sitting at the bus stop and Mm -hmm. these wild conversations pop up all the time, right? What are some ways that you do that? yeah, so like, you know, wild conversations will pop up about like transgender people or about um, Trump isn't that bad or, um, Mm. you know, uh, uh, Mike Brown deserved to die, uh, stuff like that, right? Um, It's like, I think at least for me, my visceral reaction is to like not even engage. Um, But each of those, anytime that happens, that presents an opportunity to like, um, like, to 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 complicate somebody's thinking right yeah um and to like potentially like win another person over to our side um and not that it's going to happen right then and there right but um i think it it has to start somewhere um and so i think step one like um making sure that we understand and like we develop our own analysis right whether that's through like reading things that are out there it's like talking to people um but then helping other people to like develop their analysis too so like engaging in those conversations at work at school, mm-hmm. right? In your taxi ride, um, you know, to the extent that like it's not always safe to do so, right? But yeah. to the extent that it's safe to do so, um, you know, I think doing that on a day to day is also how we build, um, how we just build up. Uh,
0: so, so I don't think that this task is just for Black people. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it is just for people of color. I don't think mm-hmm. that it's just for marginalized
1: people. Mm-hmm.
0: If you agree with that, can you describe why?
1: yeah absolutely um so i think uh as an like as an organizer I think in like like numbers right like math and like numbers um and so um you know, black people are what eight eight seven twelve, i don't know whatever percentage of the population we are um we're not that much right so um even if we got every black person on board in the US that like, for example, we need reparations, right, but we couldn't convince anybody else, that wouldn't happen. Um, but what I do think needs to happen is that, I think throughout history, um, whenever, um, whenever other people lead, um, right, on uh, whatever they think the best solutions is or whatever they think, you know, whatever, whatever, um, when i think when non black people try to fix black people's problems um in the same way that like when men try to fix like women's problems right like it's not like it's it's not going to work um and it hasn't worked right and when we talk about uh solutions that like uh lift all boats um it's the boats that are most marginalized right so black people women queer people that are always going to be left behind um and so what i believe Um, and what history has shown us is that you know in the 50s and the 60s when black people lead right um, when the most marginalized lead um, because they understand their situations their conditions the best um, is that when when those people most affected lead um, uh, that's when like the best outcomes happen and so um, I think a lot of what we talk when we talk about um, black organizing and like you know building black bases and doing political education, like working with black people, um, it's not at the exclusion of everybody else, but it's um, with the understanding that like when we build the capacity of black people to like uh, the capacity and the resources to like lead and lead effectively, um, uh, and you know have every like everyone else work with us, um, that that's when like we can see. Uh, some real change that'll like shake up this country and like shake up the world um and so it's not at the exclusion of everyone else it's you know leading versus just black people
0: but but why should other people participate even if they aren't leading Why
1: should oh yeah um when because when you know we fix the problem for those like who have it worse like you fix it for everybody right Mm -hmm. so i think i talked about you know um uh when you talk about like minimum wage right um a couple years ago, I remember when five for 15 was, like, first, mm-hmm. you know, And can you describe mentioned. the
0: Fight for 15 as well?
1: Yeah, of course. So the Fight for 15 um, is a national campaign that's been going on for a couple years now to raise the minimum wage to $15. Um, I think when they started, I don't even know these facts, so I'm not going to try, but the federal minimum wage was really low. I think it was less than half of that. Um, in some states, it's, like, $2, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so, you know, when they first started out, people were like, oh, like that's crazy, $15 minimum wage. Like, that's more than double. In some places, I was like triple what the current minimum wage was. Um, but over the past uh, almost a decade now, right, um, they've been able to, uh, like, win in many places, right? In New York, we just won a year ago. They um, we were able to win $15 um, in many places, um, and it's, it's, it's taking over the country, Right. Um, and so, for example, something like that, right, um, where, you know, there are a lot of people who make well above minimum wage, right? You know, like, that doesn't affect me, whatever. Um, but by raising the bar on, like, the for the lowest wage earners, um, right, effectively everyone else's wages, you know, eventually goes up um, and everyone, you know, has a better uh, uh, quality of living. And so, you know, I think with things like that, with, you know, um, the police disproportionately kill black people, uh, but they kill all people, right? And they, um, um, you know, the prison system disproportionately affects black people, um, black women, um, but it it messes up things for everybody. Um, the healthcare system, you know, affects people differently, but it sucks for everybody. Um, and so, um, you know, I think. Uh, uh, again that's i think that's part of why i talked about like political education and um you know building an analysis is that some people know just through you know lived experience how bad things are and how things affect them um some people don't know how like don't know that um like all the people who like voted for Trump who like whose prospects whose interests are not aligned with Trump at all right um i yeah i'm going off on a tangent here no 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 go <laughs> ahead
0: you're fine you're fine
1: yeah um i think they're like millions of people who like voted for trump whose interests are in no way aligned with trump right um they're low class middle class um the, all the tax cuts that he's doing are going to harm them the like repealing of obamacare as we've seen like is going to harm them um etc etc um but i think if we're better able to articulate how like you know this thing that you think like is a black issue or is not your issue like actually affects you um but like join us and mm-hmm, we you know we mm-hmm. can like Uh, change this for all of us. Um,
0: What's that effort been like for you?
1: What's that effort been like? Um... um, You know, I mean, a lot of the organizing that I do specifically um, has been with, like, all black people. Um, So I can't speak directly to that. A lot of what I do is, like, building black bases and the capacity of black organizations. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've never worked... In uh, like a multiracial organization, or like try to organize white people, um, you know, we've done. Actually, that's not true. So we do a lot of coalition work with M 4 BL, um, and we've like built with, um, you know, um, Latinx immigrant right, immigrant justice organizations, and like um, Muslim um, and Arab organizations, um, and um, you know, that's been incredibly fruitful. Be- but again, because I think the people who are already in those organizations and the bases they're building already have that analysis um, and understand how like our struggles are interconnected. Um, And so I haven't done the work. I haven't, uh, my organizing hasn't involved like talking to non-black people who aren't, don't already have a certain set of politics hmm mm-hmm. got it, yeah. got it. Can you delve a
2: little bit deeper in terms of that coalition building that you're talking about? Um, you know, what are some of the other, you know, broader issues that, you know, some of the other communities are facing? And how do you go about um, building that sort of collectivism and that base of power?
1: So part of it has been, um, you know, uh, being able to articulate um, that uh, really, like, every single issue is a black issue. Um, you know, so when people are talking about immigration and uh, immigration reform, you know, and um, deportations and stuff, um, I live in New York City where, uh, you know, over half of the people who are being deported um, are black, right, they're like from the Caribbean, they're immigrants from the Caribbean and from um, you know West Africa and Latin America um, of black descent. Um, you know, or when we're talking about uh, Islamophobia, and you know the policies and the um, everything that, that comes with that. Um, you know, uh, a lot many uh, Muslims in in this country, especially right, are black. When um, we're talking about like women's issues, right, <laughs> lots of women are black, um, et cetera, et cetera. When we're talking about like poor people um, and economic justice, like black people are disproportionately affected. Um, and so, um, you know, I think one example is, so for May Day, May Day is historically been International Workers' Day, it's May 1st, um, it's, uh, you know, it's been a day around the country where, um, there's lots of, uh, you know, huge marches and direct actions, um, and workers and other folks come together, um, to celebrate, like, rights that workers have won, um, you know, like the 8-hour workday and, um, the 40-hour workweek, um, and time off and childcare, et cetera, et cetera, that they've won historically. So this year for May Day, um, we, uh, for the Movement for Black Lives, partnered with a bunch of other organizations, um, non-black organizations um, like uh, Mi Gente, uh, which is a a, a Latin accent immigrant, or an immigrant justice um, organization. and uh, it takes roots in environmental justice organizations um, and a host of other organizations um, to talk about, like, the ways that all of our struggles are connected um, and to try to, like, amplify that um, and provide like, political education um, tools and stuff for people to host teach-ins in different cities um, about that for different groups to come together that don't always work together and talk about those kind of things. Um, you know, did, like, videos and... Um, Uh, stuff like that so I think that's you know um, folks have been trying to do stuff like that Uh, you know in our campaigns the campaigns that people are working on uh, I think folks are trying to be more um, uh, um, clear or explicit about the way that um, you know issues like like I said like immigrant um, rights and immigrant justice you know is uh, it's, it's traditionally been framed as like um uh a Latino issue isn't just a Latino issue, it's a black issue, et cetera, et cetera. So people are I think making those connections, have been making those connections, but um I think are increas- increasingly so doing that and that helps.
0: So Carl, as we wrap up, um mm-hmm. my question for you is what can listeners do if they want to work towards this vision that you're talking about? Um under the framework of the movement for black lives Mm -hmm. um black listeners white listeners men Mm -hmm. women what can they do
1: yeah um i would encourage folks to go to uh policy.m4bl.org i would encourage folks to read that um the introduction to the policy platform um that i think is one of the uh one of the probably most comprehensive, like public-facing things that we have, um, that I think it does a pretty good job of defining who these, you know, 50-plus organizations are and what we believe in and what we want. Um, reading through the vision, the different policy demands in the vision, um, you know, I think that does a pretty good job of, of articulating um, what we're actually fighting for—a um, much better job than like, you know, the media does. Um, And I think uh, all of those. Well, I know all of those policy, all of those sections have examples of organizations that are working on it um, that you can reach out to, uh, no matter where you live, um, and plug in with the work that they're doing. Um, You know, either donating or showing up, like I said earlier. Um, And then I, you know, get on our mailing list. Sign up for our mailing list. Like I said earlier, go to m4bl.net. Um, you know sign up for at the bottom of that web page um, we're going to start rolling out some tools in the next couple of months um, for people to uh, begin self-organize for people to you know begin and continue self-organizing in their communities coming together with their neighbors finding out who in your area um, you know is uh, is like-minded and wants to like build and like affect um, uh, uh, affect the You know make some tangible changes in your community um so those are some things that folks can do
0: so so uh, another way to ask this question right you mentioned how you practice organizing in ubers and at bodegas Mm -hmm. what are ways that listeners can practice organizing every day
1: yeah um i think folks should you know when conversations are coming up that you're around um You know, whether it be at work, uh, in your Uber, in your car, um, you know, at the dinner table, when you're with your family, um, you know, intervene. And like, you know, when people are, um, you know, especially for like uh, non-black folks, right? When people are, uh, you know, racism isn't just institutional, it's interpersonal, right? And it um, shows up in like really tiny ways um, that perpetuate um, uh, larger they have larger consequences right so when racism shows up like don't talk when transphobia shows up um, talk I mean you know don't don't be quiet um, talk Uh, and um, um, yeah I think intervene in those conversations um, I think like read um, and talk to people and develop your own analysis Um, you know pick up some books or read some articles Um, cool
0: yeah cool
2: Hey Carl, I have a question. Um yeah. if you're looking back and you're speaking with yourself as a freshman or a sophomore at Stanford, or uh-huh. even a, you know, a senior um, uh-huh. you know, back in Las Vegas, um, <laughs> what kind of conversation would you have with yourself? What 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 are some tidbits or maybe even three things that you would share with a younger Carl?
1: Hmm. Um so if there was I can't think of three things, but if there was one thing that I could um tell a younger version of myself uh which is funny because i'm you know are still pretty young um i I think it would be to not be afraid to fail um you know i think just throughout stanford um there are a lot of things classes like maybe a different major different opportunities that um uh i kind of like wish i had taken um you know Uh, For example, I would love to have, like, taken more econ classes, right, or things like that. Um, And I think the fear of failure or the fear of, like, straying from, like, a path, um, uh, you know, stopped me from doing that. Um, And so I think that's one one really big piece of advice that um, I would give myself is to not be afraid to fail and not be afraid to... um, you know, do what you want to do or like do what you feel like you need to do. Not everything has to fit into um, uh, a coherent plan or picture or whatever. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that carries that carries it today too. Cool. I cool. appreciate that. Yeah.
0: Thanks so much for spending time with us, Carl.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's been a pleasure, man. Yeah. And right, uh, too, yeah. yeah, we look forward to seeing all the the continued success and great work that you're you're pouring into this movement.
1: All right, that we're all pouring into this movement because we all absolutely. All right. Thanks, Autumn and Kelsey.